So uh, I would like to also thank you, uh, the 25th Capital Link for giving us the opportunity to uh, present this very interesting panel. Uh, our subject matter is uh, upgrading the infrastructure and transport network in Greece, investment opportunities. So I believe that we have uh, uh, the perfect mix in terms of uh, panel members. Uh, and I would like to just briefly introduce uh, our panelists today. Uh, Christos Ioannou is uh, the representative of AVAX, uh, executive chairman, uh, one of the major construction groups in Greece, listed on Athex, and uh, uh, also active in real estate and tourism. Uh, Mr. George Milonoyanis, He's uh, the CEO, the, the, the chairman of uh, the BOD of Elactor, one of uh, the most traditional groups, uh, infrastructure groups in Greece. Mr. Sahinis, he's the CEO of AIDAP, the incumbent uh, water supply company of the broader Athens area. Ms. Penelope Lazaridou is the general financial manager and executive board director of board member of Yekterna group of companies, one of the major Greek infrastructure groups. And Mr. Manolis Igalas is senior vice president and managing director of Europe, Hill International, uh, multinational with presence in various countries and uh, mainly active in uh, project management. So just uh, opening the statement, uh, it is a very positive momentum, I would say. Greece has come a long way in the recent years, overcoming a big economic crisis uh, and having made significant progress towards reform and recovery. The Greek economy has grown steadily. We heard that the GDP grew, uh, grew uh, at the rate of 2.8 in 2022 and uh, 2.4 in 2023. Uh, the public debt has steadily decreased from uh, 160.8 to the GDP to 141.2, it's expected to decrease in 2027, while at the peak of the crisis uh, the rate was 205. So we, we see that it's a very positive momentum. We have, we have a world record debt reduction coupled with the investment rate, which has been granted by three out of the four uh, recognized rating agencies. So uh, I think that uh, it is a great moment to see uh, what needs to be done to uh, better improve our network, transport network and infrastructure network. So I would, give, I would like to give the floor to Ms. Penelope Lazaridou to ask Penelope. Uh, Jack Turner is currently reporting an order book of 10 billion whereas the country's pipeline of infrastructure projects in Greece is estimated to exceed 30 billion for the next years. Evidently, this project spree will continue having a positive footprint on our economy. However, what would you say that is the environmental and energy angle of these portfolio projects? First of all, I would like to wish to all of you happy holidays to you and your families. Thank you, Nico, for this question that touches upon contemporary pivotal issues for all next generations in our country 
and abroad as well. Let me start first saying uh, that indeed, uh, during the last decade, a significant part of the country's infrastructure uh, budget was transportation intensive. Greek infrastructure companies delivered some of the most iconic motorway projects, such as um, uh, the minister mentioned, Ionia Odos, Central Greece Motorway, Olivia Odos, that were added to the existing motorways of Ignatia and Atiki Odos. The country's pipeline contains more emblematic infrastructure transportation projects like Atikiodos extension, the north axis of Creta, the upgrade of 22 regional uh, um, airport in Greece, uh, development of new airports in Greece and, um, and Kalamata, which are expected to propel economic growth. Um, but, uh, all new transportation infrastructure projects are designed in a way to be environmentally sensitive. Why? Uh, all those projects, they reduce travel times, they reduce congestion, leading to a more efficient fuel use and reduce emission per vehicle. Uh, I would say that they invite more environmental friendly modes of transportation through a charging network for electric vehicles and implement sustainable practices in line with international best practices such as uh, pavement recycling and green energy for electrification. Uh, and about the new airport, the energy consumption reduction and minimal carbon footprint is a strategic target. But as you very correct pointed out, uh, new infrastructure projects should address new challenges, which are the climate change, the water shortages, the energy shortages, and vehicle-friendly transportation. We have an increasing frequency of climate phenomena which underscore the urgency of adapting um, our infrastructure. So these projects are crucial in steering our economy towards a more environmentally and socially responsible direction. Some of those projects, um, uh, which um, are the most critical infrastructure related to climate and eco-energy already contained in the country's pipeline are irrigation projects. With a budget of about two billion, we contribute to the efficient management of water resources, optimal utilization of rainwater and agricultural land, and also, furthermore, uh, integrated flood protection with the development of hydroelectric stations, particularly pump storage ones provide renewable energy and, and bolsters flood defenses as well. Benefits of desalination of the Greek islands. Advanced desalination plants also align with environmental sustainability as they can be powered by renewable energy sources, reducing carbon footprint and preserving uh, the natural beauty of our, of, uh, our uh, Greek islands. Uh, also, the close cooperation between the public and private sector, but in the form of PPPs, uh, is crucial for the timely upgrade of the Greek rail network uh, that will definitely enhance national connectivity and also will reduce the environmental impact of transportation. Uh, 
Um, in sum, this infrastructure initiative are not just construction projects. They represent our commitment to a resilient, to sustainable future, balancing ecological sustainability with economic uh, value. Uh, also, there is an interesting angle of this project, uh, which is the level of innovation and out-of-the-box thinking required to engage in the formulation of the national strategy, generating internal value for all our country's stakeholders. In this regard, during the last few years, major infrastructure companies in Greece have been investing heavily in soliciting people with the necessary uh, scientific credentials and professional experience to enable and lead this project that address new climate and energy challenges. For us, there are additional tailwinds to this endeavor. Greek economy has been as, uh, assigned an investment grade rating from three out of four uh, accredited rating agency. Greek systemic banks uh, are uh, totally out of the woods uh, with rock solid financial seats uh, and robust results, showing a strong appetite for credible investments, but for credible sponsors as well. Greece has earmarked uh, a significant amount, only 52 billion is coming from RRF and from ESPA. Um, uh, from EU to fund digital, environmental, and energy transformation. Greek government also has a clear and strong mandate and a full term to act. And foreign institutional and foreign sovereign funds have Greece on the center of the investment radar. So it seems that the stars are aligned, presenting Greece with a monumental opportunity that we simply cannot afford to wait, not for ourselves, but uh, for the generations to come. Thank you very much for your attention and Thank patience. You. Thank you, Penelope. Thank you. Thank you for <coughs> your presentation. And I would uh, give the floor to Christos now. So Christos, with a record level of contracted work in Greece, uh, the market, as well as a flurry of upcoming work, what would you see as the challenges faced by the contractors to ensure that you deliver successfully and in time the projects. Thank you, Nico. I think there's a very broad discussion about the lack of uh, human uh, resources, financial resources, and the supply, supply chain constraints. But I think I wanted to talk about this from a different angle. I want to talk about how the relationship between the client and the contractor needs to be revisited to achieve success. Projects cannot afford the luxury of an antagonistic relationship between client and contractor. And in contrast to popular belief, I think their interests are very much aligned. In terms of time, it's obvious that the client wants to get his project faster, but the contractor also needs to get the project done and move his limited resources elsewhere. The longer projects drag on, the worse it is for us. And in terms of money, this may seem counterintuitive, but it is in the client's interest for the contractor to have a healthy profit margin at market levels. When a contractor suffers financially on a project, the project delivery also suffers. And nowadays, the projects are structured in such a manner that the profitability is broadly visible of the contractor, so there's a limited risk of excess profitability. So against this backdrop, 
I believe the following four levers can contribute to successful project completion. The first is teamwork. Client, contractor, and project manager need to work as a team towards a common direction. And a key element of this is starting off very early on for there to be realistic uh, time and, uh, and uh, monetary budgets. The second is transparency. The contractor needs to take extra care to be transparent and open, gaining the trust of his client, and at the same time making sure that the cash received from the client flows smoothly downstream to the suppliers and the subcontractors. The third is timely and fair payments. The worst thing a client can do is to weaponize the monthly payments and aggressively reduce the valuations and delay to pay. At the end, this will be to the loss of the project and the client. And the fourth point is quick decision making. The client needs to have a sense of urgency, avoiding bureaucracy. This may sound a bit sort of theoretical and wishful thinking, but in my experience where AVAX has completed hundreds of projects and is now faced with a record signed backlog exceeding 3 billion euros, I have seen that when we complete a project, either both or neither of the client and contractor are happy with the outcome. And this takes me back to my point about the aligned interests. So I would like to close with three examples. With the Stavros Nyarfos Foundation hospital projects, the collaboration with AVAX started from the very beginning at the bidding phase. With an innovative approach managed by Hill International, we sat down as one team and reached what we all agreed was a fair contract price and a realistic time schedule. And the construction has recently started on these projects. The second example is with Lambda development for the Lincoln Phase 1 infrastructure project. Here the collaboration started a bit later during the construction phase and we were already seeing positive results. Finally, I also have a positive example of this collaborative approach from the public sector. When Minister Karamanlis was appointed as infrastructure minister in 2019, he made it his personal goal for the Metro Line 3 extension to start operating within 2020. This seemed like a huge challenge at the time, but we worked closely, openly, and collaboratively with the ministry and the Metro Authority towards this common target. I am proud to say that in July 2020, at the peak of the pandemic, Prime Minister Mitsotakis inaugurated the new Metro Line 3 for commercial operation. On the flip side, we have the Thessaloniki Metro, which was contracted to one of our competitors in 2006. 2006 was the year that my third daughter was born. Let me say that she's turning 18 in two months, she's about to go to university, and as we speak, the Thessaloniki Metro is still under construction. In any case, I hope these, sites, uh, these insights are useful. And I would also suggest the current ministry to adopt this collaborative win-win approach for its upcoming challenging projects, including the Metro Line 4, which our company is con constructing. Thank you. Thank you, Christos. That was really helpful to, for, our, for all of us to understand the key parameters of ensuring delivery, good delivery of projects. So I would give the floor now to Haris Ahinis. Uh, without you know, the water supply, no community can be operative. So, uh, Harry, uh, uh, as one of the major stakeholders in this area in Greece, could you tell us what is in the pipeline as regards uh, water supply and related parameters? Actually, first of all, in, in order to put this in perspe into perspective, I want to talk about some of the significant changes that are happening in, uh, in the water and wastewater environment in Greece. Um, the first one is a regulatory change. 
for the first time in Greece there's going to be an independent regulator uh, regulating uh, this industry, and that is extremely important. Um, and uh, the regulation is going to work exactly the same way it is working in uh, the energy industry. Uh, it is going to be a RAB-based tariff for that regulation, so a regulated asset-based tariff. Um, and um, uh, th this is a major change on, on how the industry works. Uh, the other thing is a structural change that now everything that has to do with water, wa water, wastewater and energy, because in order to get water you need a lot of energy, is, is now finally under one ministry and that is the Ministry of Environment and Energy. So you have a symmetry here, you have a regulator uh, who is a regulator for uh, water, wastewater uh, and uh, energy and the ministry in symmetry that is responsible for all these areas which is really great because you have a simplification of the stakeholders and decisions can be made much, much faster. Additionally, um, the Ministry of uh, Environment and Energy is proposing a new law that has already been discussed in the government and we believe it's going to pass uh, sometime in January or February uh, that has to do with economies of scale uh, across all of Greece by merging all the 170 plus smaller uh, water utilities in Greece across the 13 regions in Greece. So that's again very important uh, because you have the economies of scale uh, but you'll also have a, a better plan for investing and there are going to be many bigger <coughs> investments that are going to come out of that, um, uh, I believe. Along this, uh, both ADAP, which is a listed company, and AYATH, which is the company in Thessaloniki, are going to benefit because their areas are going to be expanded, in our case, by about 10%. So that's going to be another interesting evolution for at least our company. Now, uh, having painted this background and the changes in, uh, in uh, the regulatory and uh, uh, governance uh, environment, uh, we have to figure out what are going to be those investments. So the, across Greece, but especially for us, uh, there's going to be a need to replace old water networks, uh, to replace old wastewater networks, and you have to do that because in England, for example, and this is England, not Greece, in England they had environmental issues because of their old networks for wastewater that they hadn't invested in and they had uh, sewage going to the rivers uh, so that there were significant environmental penalties to the companies for that so we need to avoid that. You have new European Union regulations regarding the quality of treated water from uh, wastewater and th those will need significant investments to achieve that quality. We have to think about resilience to climate change and, and again, that's a multidimensional issue because my company was threatened by fires in the last several years, but we managed that. But again, we, we need to figure out how we will manage that in the future. Um, you have at the same time, just this year, two weeks after the floods, uh, after the fires, we had floods in uh, Volos, which really destroyed uh, the water network in Volos and uh, it took them and we tried to help there, but it took them a couple of weeks to, to bring the network uh, back. Uh, so we have to figure all this. And then we also have uh, to, to figure out what happens in the case of drought. 
because that's again a possibility. Uh, and as Penelope mentioned earlier, we have to, to think about potential desalination investments, not only on the islands, but even in Greece, or at least be, be ready in the case you need to have uh, desalination projects uh, to be constructed so that you can avoid issues that have to do with drought. And in the end, again, you, you have to look at how you can do that with lower energy costs or, and or with cleaner energy, so there need to be uh, investments in renewables. So uh, I, I think you are going to see that as a need for investment across all of Greece, especially now that you're going to have those larger uh, regional companies for water and wastewater. In the case of uh, ADAP, uh, which represents about 40% of um, uh, the, the population in Greece. We have a 10-year, 2 billion euro investment plan. That's quite significant. A uh, big part of that is 900 million for uh, developing uh, a wastewater pipeline network and also uh, three new uh, uh, wastewater treatment plants in eastern Attica where there is no such infrastructure right now. 90% uh, per of that is going to be funded, is, is being funded because all these projects uh, uh, have started and uh, actually some of the companies represented here uh, are the companies that are working on these uh, projects. Um, and 90% uh, of that is funded by the European Union. Uh, another uh, 400 um, uh, million euros is going to be to replace the old pipeline network in Greece, but also create new um, uh, pipelines to bring water, for example, to the Linicon project, because you have there a city within the city, uh, so you need to replan on how you assign the water and you bring water to where it's needed. Uh, 200 million euros for additional wastewater uh, uh, pipelines and about 500 million euros investing in the smart grid and smart meters in uh, our zero, zero carbon goal to um, uh, re reduce the cost of energy and some of the plans include the pump storage uh, uh, as, as well. And also we're looking at new technologies and best practices and for, for example at um, uh, our Psitalia uh, wastewater treatment plant, which is the second largest wastewater treatment plant in all of Europe, uh, instead of us using the biogas uh, to dry the sludge uh, and then remove it to be burned by cement companies, we want to take the sludge um, and burn it together with our biogas to create electricity that can be sold and then we can uh, become actually net sellers of electricity than what we are right now, which we are buyers of electricity. So uh, th this is um, a demanding uh, investment plan and challenging investment plan because it ends up being tenfold to what the company has been used to. Uh, it, it, the company has been making about 15 million euros in investments every year and now we're going to reach a peak of uh, more than 150 per year. Uh, the question is how are you going to finance all of that? Uh, we do have cash, about 320 million. Uh, there are the EU grants that I mentioned to you earlier, but I think those are going to be less and less. So we're going to look at bank loans. We, want to make, we need to make sure that those are going to be favorable ones. There, I think our ESG ratings 
uh, that we're getting and they're improving year by year are going to be helpful. Uh, Standard & Poor's already, already rated us better than about 70% of the companies in our area that uh, they're following and we believe we're going to improve that uh, more. Um, we're going to look at uh, green bonds and pretty much all, all of the ways that we can finance this. But again, the most important thing is to have the regulator in place so that we can ensure that the tariffs are fair tariffs uh, that uh, can actually pay uh, for all the investment that is needed uh, in this very critical area and industry. Thank you. Thank you very much, Harry. It's an exciting investment program for ADAP, and I wish you good luck with your program. So I give the floor to, to George, uh, George Milonoyanis. Uh, when we were discussing, you were referring to some 3D factors in, uh, and challenges in infrastructure and transport projects. So could you please elaborate on that? So first, I have to thank you for the opportunity to communicate with such a prominent audience. Last year in the same panel, most of us were here, I think, in the same panel, uh, I made uh, an introductory statement by saying that we experience uh, the decade of unexpected events. Unfortunately, I have to make the, say, the same statement today for self-evident reasons. We all know that there is another war that was not expected. Uh, and then the three Ds that Nicholas uh, uh, referred to are still here, and we do not refer to three dimensions, but uh, to defense, to decarbonization, and deglobalization. And speaking for Greece, we have to add a fourth D, which is the development of real estate. So it makes sense to have a look and to examine on whether uh, infrastructure investment is affected by these three Ds. Let's take things from the beginning. The first D corresponds to defense. Because of the last uh, wars in Europe and now in the Middle East, we all know that defense budgets have been drastically increased within the European Union. We, you know that Germany has a 100 billion program for uh, defense, and the question is to what extent such developments uh, affect adversely uh, the all civilian projects and infrastructure investment. My answer is that, uh, of course, there are funds directed to what we call pure uh, defense projects, the manufacturing and the purchase of weapons. However, there is another part related to defense, which is very close to infrastructure, which is pure infrastructure. And uh, I'm referring, for example, to the joint use of airports. In the United States, there are 20, more than 20 airports of joint use, which means both civilian and military. The same in ports. So at the end of the day, it is a challenge, a threat, because of the lack of funds, or of funds that uh, are directed to non-civilian projects. But in parallel, there is 
uh, an opportunity for the construction of uh, uh, constructions that have this uh, double SA role, civilian and military. Particularly for Greece, I allow me to say that defense is not a problem because we spent more than any other European country for uh, defense equipment. Thus, our budget is there and part of it may be used for the development of uh, defense infrastructure. The second D refers to decarbonization. And again, we have to answer on whether there is a challenge, a threat, or an opportunity. Someone may say that uh, the new needs for decarbonization, the Fit for 55, all these kind of things, constitute a, a threat in the sense that now infrastructure projects have to take into consideration all, all these needs and the cost is higher. At the same time, as the change in the climate is here, there are new projects. We have the example of what happened in Thessaly. We had the floods, totally unexpected, and now the need for the construction of new levees or new dams of another scale that we could have ever imagined that we would uh, use. So here is the opportunity. The last one, I think it's a threat. Uh, and I'm referring the third D, but I will talk about the fourth when I come back to Greece again. The, the, the third is the deglobalization. That means that the circulation of funds is not that easy as it used to be, and especially for funds coming from the eastern part of the globe. However, I can say that Greece does not depend that much on such funds. And thus, we have a lower problem than somebody could uh, have expected. The last day is the development of uh, real estate. And uh, for Greece, it's a major tool for the development of the country. We all know, and I had the chance to work with uh, Manolis in the Hellenicon project, me as a lawyer and uh, Manolis as a technical advisor to Taipei for, I don't remember, Manolis, four years, something like this. And now we are very happy to see that uh, the project is there, it is implemented, and uh, we have, of course, the project per se, per se, and in addition to that, the infrastructure, which is a condition precedent for the development of the project, as Mr. Sahini said before. Uh, allow me to say that uh, our group has two major development, real estate development, one in Crete, in the former U.S. bases in Gurnes, and uh, the Kambas, the Kambas uh, estate in Attica, which by all means will need huge infrastructure works in order to be supported. So, to mitigate the risks and to exploit the opportunities. Thank you very much, George. And uh, lastly, I give the floor to Manolis. Manolis, as a representative of a multinational with uh, offices uh, in uh, 42, uh, if I'm correct, uh, countries. Uh, what would you say that is your on-the-ground perspective or, and outlook regarding Greece's infrastructure sector going forward? Good, good morning, everyone. Thank you very much, Mr. Koritsas. Um, regarding the outlook, and, uh, and, and as a prelude, I think it needs to be recognized 
that Greece, um, Greece's efforts in recent years have uh, yielded a tangible and measurable result uh, for, the infrastructure for, infra for the infrastructure space and for the wider construction industry. Specifically, we have uh, major projects, I would say some projects of global caliber that are currently underway, such as the Hellenicon, the Athens Metro Expansion, the new international airport of Iraklion at Castelli uh, in Crete, the Stavros Nars Foundation Health Initiative, and several more, uh, with some impressive construction sites that are uh, in full swing uh, in different parts of the country. At the same time, we have an unprecedented pipeline of projects across sectors that can now be implemented and fueled by Greece's RRF program. We witness a significant m and activity in our sector, uh, uh, largely part due to the fact that the, the, the big five Greek contractors have essentially tripled, tripled their backlog since 2019, and this continues uh, uh, to grow. The same applies to all market players. We all experience growth. The market is hiring and complaining that they cannot fi find people. So taking a step back, yeah, Greece uh, uh, has done something, something right. Uh, circumstances for our sector uh, are notably uh, promising, and we remain a bit about the prospects ahead. Now, having said that, uh, in this very positive big picture that I presented, there are some uh, critical pixels mm -hmm. uh, that definitely warrant uh, uh, our attention. And this brings me to, uh, to the challenges. And, and yes, challenges. Uh, there are challenges, and challenges will continue to evolve amid evolving global uh, circumstances. And echoing the very valid remarks by fellow panelists, yes, we need to rationalize project budgets to be in line with uh, actual market conditions. We need to maintain and sustain healthy and steady cash flow uh, to the contractors and, and downstream to the supply chain to be, able, to be able to deliver all these projects. But beyond that, uh, given the demand in, and the increased scope uh, on the ground, uh, Mr. Koritsas, we need uh, to collectively step up our game. And the name of the game going forward, just to be clear, it's execution. And we talk about the execution capacity of a sector that very reasonably so, naturally, has been weakened uh, in past years due to the prolonged uh, crisis. And it's now been called upon to deliver an unprecedented, a historic capital uh, expenditure program. And in the function, in the formula of uh, execution capacity, a critical parameter is, of course, human capital. And the prospective problem that we all recognize uh, and face is that, the, as things currently stand, is, is the lack of uh, the brains and hands of the manpower to actually deliver timely deliver uh, all these projects. And, and in this respect, we need to be mindful of what? That competition for resources is not in Greece. It's pan-European and it's international. There are other European countries with significant RRF packages, such as Italy. We have the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia planning trillions in, of US in investments, and it's drawing upon the same pool, the European pool of resources, including, of course, from Greece. So what, what can we do? Uh, in this new landscape. Uh, I think Greece has manageable and workable solution, solutions, uh, given also its size and, and, and limited numbers. Uh, regarding engineers and qualified professionals, we need to persevere in the repatriation efforts, making use of tax incentives that have already been provided. Can this be reinforced? Even better, but there are tax incentives. Uh, we need to offer better salaries and, importantly, uh, a vision and a future perspective. And as a side note, this is not uh, being done automatically uh, through LinkedIn uh, ads or platforms. 
This requires time and energy, and it requires uh, taking action from the leadership of, uh, of the organizations of, of, of market players. Uh, in addition to that, of course, we need to provide jobs to, to young engineers to develop a new generation of professionals through these uh, international projects with a, with a different mindset and skills and experience that can be exported uh, uh, in the future. Now, regarding labor, uh, uh, which is, has been the elephant in the room that has been identified by, by all, regarding labor, obviously, an element of the solution is uh, sourcing this partly from other countries, such as Egypt. Uh, to achieve that, uh, this needs to be approached in an institutional and structured manner. Hence, a close collaboration between the Greek government and the private sector is absolutely essential to address an array of matters, uh, including how many, what is their geographical uh, allocation. We have Crete, Attica, we have the North Greece, and of course, uh, unfortunately, uh, Thessaly uh, recently. Where are these people going to stay? Uh, living conditions, specifications for these facilities, how these are permitted, and, and, and a range of topics. I don't want to take up your time. The point being, and the message is, that this discussion needs to mature, the solution needs to be saved, and any legis legislative, legislative uh, uh, interventions need to be made as soon as possible so the market, the private sector, we can get things rolling in 2024, uh, and hence avoid uh, uh, the risk of experiencing a dip or setbacks in the progress of projects during 2025 and 2026. Notwithstanding, looking ahead, uh, always with a positive mindset, and I genuinely believe that we have some very creative and productive year, years ahead of us. All of us sitting on this panel are in different capacities, are involved with some transformational projects that are underway uh, in our country. And together with the challenges, there are also opportunities that we can collectively seize for the, for the benefit of the Greek economy, but also for businesses and professionals, our compatriots who operate in the sector. Thank you very much, Manolis. Just as uh... Uh, wrapping up statement, I would say that uh, we have an opportunity that uh, is not to be lost. There are billions of euros mobilized to uh, invest in upgrading the infrastructure and uh, transport network in Greece. And uh, with all the stakeholders here, uh, personally I'm optimistic that we can do it. And that uh, such investments in these core areas, uh, you know, they act as uh, accelerators for general uh, economic growth. Thank you all.